Hello and welcome to the Jewitches Podcast, a bi-weekly podcast hosted by Jewitches.com. Every episode we dive into a new topic on Jewish witchcraft, magic, mysticism, folklore, and practice. And in our many episodes, we break down interesting topics in just about 10 minutes. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen. Follow us on Instagram at Jewitches, Tumblr and Twitter at The Jewitches, and join us on Patreon. Links and citations are always available in the description. Hello and welcome to the Jewishes Podcast. Today we are talking about something that I thought we had already talked about. We have a written blog post version of this episode on our website, jewishes.com, all about the evil eye. And it wasn't until someone commented, when are you going to be releasing a podcast version that we realized we never released a podcast version. So we're finally going to be doing it. Before we start, remember to Click subscribe, follow, rate, and review wherever you're listening because it absolutely does help us so much. And we'll just jump right into it. Now, this is going to be a very condensed version of what we're talking about because we could fill a book with it. And we're not going to do that. So we're just going to do a short and sweet version. What is the evil eye? The evil eye is an ominous, foreboding specter that lingers in the minds of many across the globe. Many cultures claim the term, but the contexts of its existence and symbolism created represented varies drastically by location, region, religion, and culture. As a forewarning, the evil eye is found in many cultures around the globe. However, this particular episode will focus only on its existence within Judaism. There is a high chance that what you will listen to here will resonate with your understanding uh, of your culture as these beliefs are shared globally and cross-culturally. So even if you're not Jewish, you may say, we do that too. And that's totally normal. To quote, the belief in the evil eyes found throughout the ancient cultures that came into contact with Judaism. In ancient and early medieval rabbinic Judaism, the evil eye was perceived as an occurrence of the everyday life, part of the reality that the rabbis had to deal with in their own manner of understanding and interpretation. This is the reason why it is so prevalent in rabbinic literature. Through the use of the evil eye, it is explained from the point of the view of magic, the means believed to be effective for protection and healing, after often religious ones. Now, what is the evil eye? The evil eye goes by many names. In Hebrew, ayin hara, while in Spanish, for example, mal de ojo or ojo mal, or mal ojo. Whatever the name, it generally refers to the same phenomena. Simply put, the evil eye is the belief or idea that someone can be bewitched, cursed, or harmed by being cast an evil glance or look. This look can be intentional or unintentional as well as caused by envy, greed, jealousy, etc. How the evil eye works varies by tradition, oftentimes directly contradicting itself. To quote, God is the epitome of kindness. As such, heaven does not generally judge a person in the strictest possible manner, but when one negatively gazes at another's good fortune with ill feelings or envy, he's essentially asking, how come that person has XYZ? This arouses the latent heart's judgment above, and the person is judged strictly according to what he deserves. So if there is already some sort of existing sin, the evil eye can amplify it and cause the person to be judged in a strict and unfavorable fashion. 
Now, there is an, often a belief that the evil eye does not exist within official rabbinic literature and that it's only some sort of folksy superstition, but this could not be more incorrect. In truth, there is a great deal of it uh, in official literature, but there's also a great deal of debt owed to the women in Jewish communities who carried the traditions, many of which had practical applications if you didn't believe uh, in the spiritual danger of the evil eye. This requirement of rabbinic validation may stem, in part, to embedded misogyny within our culture, an unfortunate symptom of a greater problem that places the beliefs and validation of men above those of women, directly contradicting the Jewish belief in the inherent spiritual prowess of women. To quote, My father knew Ainara in Hebrew, while I knew cosas de mujeres, things of women. And this is a quote from Sweetening the Spirits, Healing the Sick, Ritual Medical Lore of Sephardic Women. Now, there's also a belief that only certain people are capable of the evil eye. This belief that only certain people are capable of the evil eye varies and falters within Jewish tradition. In the same contradictory vein, it was often believed that it was women who were largely capable of the evil eye, as well as constantly on guard against it. It would appear that the literature flips between honoring men as capable of the most devastating evil eye and women being more inherently prone to magic and therefore more likely to use and defend against it. But to assuage those who require heteropatriarchal validation, the evil eye does appear in rabbinic sources and has even shaped Jewish law. Joshua Trachtenberg, who wrote the, uh, well, really first of its kind book, Jewish Magic and Superstition, cites rabbis within the Talmud who were believed to have the power to turn men into literal heaps of bones with nothing more than a glance. Now, this perception of the evil eye causing instantaneous physical harm or even death is less widespread in most in certain Jewish communities. As Trachtenberg mentions, this may be due to overtly Babylonian influences. Now, there are numerous Midrashic mentions of the evil eye, and I'm going to list them here. It's going to be long and tedious, but Genesis Rabbah 45, 5 through 6, Genesis Rabbah 53, 13, Genesis Rabbah 56, 11, Midrash Leviticus Rabbah 17, 3, Midrash Leviticus Rabbah 26, 7, Midrash Numbers, 7, Midrash Numbers Rabbah 12, 4, Midrash Deuteronomy Rabbah 1, 25, Midrash Numbers Rabbah 12, 4, Midrash Tanhuma 66, to name a few. Further mentions include Talmud and 193a, Talmud Shabbat 34a, and ba- Talmud Baba Batra 75a, for a few more. Some take another approach. To quote, although the Talmud does lend a measure of credence to the evil eye, it also tells us that one who is not troubled by it will not be troubled by it. Don't be bothered by it, and it will not bother you. The Nishmat Chaim 3327 says there are three sources for the evil eye. One, intense attention from others. Two, intentional harm, like a curse. And three, jealousy of demons. As demons were believed to be active agents in malevolent sorcery, they were naturally involved in the casting of the evil eye, whether by themselves or on behalf of another one. According to Manasseh B. Israel, demons are like men, quote, when a man receives praise in the presence of his enemy, the latter is filled with anger and reveals his discomfiture. For envy consumes his heart like a raging fire, and he cannot contain himself. According to Ritual Medical Lore of Sephardic Women, again, it is similarly the spirits who carry out the evil intent of the evil eye, even if said evil eye is unintentional. Remember, it doesn't have to be on purpose. To quote, 
For instance, one's passing compliment could bring illness to a baby. It was the spirits who heard the praise and who brought illness to the little one. Why would they so willfully cause pain to an innocent? Because they themselves were envious of beautiful, healthy children. They were given power to act out their envy through the agency of human beings. Now, here's where we see a really interesting crossover in cross-cultural beliefs, right? Here they're saying a passing compliment causes harm to a baby through demons, right? If we look to, say, uh, Italian-American folk magic, a good a friend and a colleague of mine, uh, Chaotic Witchant, who is an uh, Italian-American folk practitioner, posted about Italian-American folk magic having a similar belief. It's believed that compliments can hold jealousy, and a common way to combat this is by uh, the best compliment being an insult. So calling a baby ugly, but in a cute way, right, as a way to circumvent causing them harm through unintentionally bringing envy. Now, these descriptions aside, it appears that biblical Jews were not necessarily concerned with the mechanics of the evil eye as much as they were concerned by its impact on their lives. Rabbi Judah Leuve, the supposed creator of the famed Golem of Prague, uh, which we do actually have an entire episode dedicated to the Golem, is credited with the opinion, quote, Know and understand that the evil eye concentrates within itself the element of fire. And according to Manasseh Israel, the angry glance of a man's eyes calls into being an evil angel who speedily takes vengeance on the cause of his wrath. To quote, there is no direct proof that the Israelites were concerned about the power of the evil eye in biblical times, but no doubt they too sought means to defend themselves against all kinds of threatening evil powers. Two silver amulets found in the burial cave in Ketevrinom in Jerusalem attest to the apotropaic function of the blessing of the priests, Numbers 24-26, in Judah at the end of the first temple period, 6th century BCE. According to the preamble of the blessing, the amulets protected their owners against the evil, qualified by the definitive article. May he or she be blessed by God, the rescuer and the rebuker of the evil. Later, the Midrash explicitly connects the epitropaic character of the priestly blessing with the evil eye. When Israel made the tabernacle, the Holy One, blessed be he, he gave them the blessing first in order that no evil eye may affect them. Accordingly, it is written, the Lord bless thee and keep thee. Numbers 6.24, namely, from the evil eye, Numbers of Chabad 12a. So what does the evil eye do? We know that it causes illness to babies, but the evil eye is believed to cause misfortune, bad luck, illness, miscarriage, and even death, though the death may not be so dramatic as to cause one to turn into a literal pile of bones, as mentioned in the Talmud. According to the Talmud, Baba Metzia 107b, 99 out of 100 people die of the evil eye. So be very careful. Now, misfortune may impact a single person or a community. Though It is noted that within many communities, specifically Spartan communities, it's mostly women and children who are stricken with the affliction of the evil eye. And there were a number of identifiers of it, aside from the obvious strings of bad luck, misfortune, illness, miscarriage, and death. For some communities, again, particularly Sephardic communities, a child yawning could be an interpretation as the manifestation of the evil eye. To quote, 
In rabbinic literature, the evil eye usually denotes the power of an individual to affect others adversely merely by looking at them. The evil eye is often seen as an expression of envy or in hatred. One source contends that the evil eye was considered a major cause of death. It is listed as one of the seven causes of sickness or disaster. In a world where such evil exists, people seek to prevent and remedy it when presented with such an option. There are hundreds of methodologies, but most fit into through the bounds of three categories, masim, rituals, segulot, folk remedies, and kamiyot, amulets. Now, most pop popularly, reciting tehillim, psalms, is believed to be a proper protectant. And yes, we get this question actually quite a bit. Psalms are Jewish. They are not just Christian, um, though... It is a very, very popular question. Yes, Tehillim Psalms are Jewish. They are a very powerful protectant. Uh, one very popular Psalm is 121 for protection, as is the Shema. And we recite the Shema traditionally multiple times a day. The practice of reciting the Shema outside of the regular prayers that we recite daily has existed for centuries as a means of extra protection from the evil eye and demonic activities. Different Jewish communities develop their own variations of methodologies to protect themselves and their children. For instance, in Iraqi Jewish families, quote, while the mother glorifies her children, she curses their enemies who might hurt them with the evil eye. She is sure that it is her children who will hurt, it is her children who will hurt the enemies. O Jacob, the doctor, the son of the doctor, wounding the enemy in the place which, which shall not heal. One popular recitation against the evil eye is as follows. Then Israel sang this song, spring up, a well, sing to it, the well which the chieftains dug, which the nobles of people started, with maces with their own staffs, and from Midbar to Matana, and from Matana to Nachaliel, and from Nachaliel to, to Bamot, and from Bamot to the valley that is in the country of Moab, at the peak of Pisgah, overlooking the wasteland. Numbers 21, 17, 20. As we mentioned earlier, the priestly blessing, 624 to 26, is also efficacious and is recited uh, numerous times throughout the year uh, and also on Shabbat. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May God shine his face upon you and gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance towards you and grant you peace. Uh, another symbol that is used is the chamsa, particularly one with the image of an eye in its center and is particularly uh, efficacious. As are fish, quote, since fish have no eyelids and thus their eyes never closed, they can always ward off the evil eye. Additionally, their eyes are located on both sides of their heads. They can see everything and be ever vigilant against evil. Just as we get a lot of questions about Tehillim being Jewish, we recently reshared some incredible, beautiful art that contained on it imagery of a fish. And I believe this was art for the month of Adar that uh, had the uh, mazal of the month dagim or pisces on it and someone said why is there a jesus like why are you posting a jesus fish because their first association when seeing a fish in a religious context is to associate it with the jesus fish because it is an incredibly popular image but before there was jesus and the jesus fish jews absolutely use the imagery of fish and have continued to use it. But because we are not as popular nor promote our imagery in such a way, uh, we're not nearly as well known. 
And there's also the issue of appropriation. For example, Messianic Christians uh, use the Jesus fish in their symbolism uh, while cosplaying as Jews. So there's that issue as well. But Jews have absolutely been using fish as protective amulets in our imagery, in our artwork for centuries. Now, we're going to talk about just a few common actions against the evil eye. These are just a few because it would take days and days and hundreds and hundreds of guests to cover everything. And that would not even be able to cover all of it. So we're just going to talk about a couple ways to ward off the evil eye. One, avoid double marriages within a household. Break glass or a ceramic at a wedding. Never mention a date or birth or exact age. When taking your child to school for the first time, shield them with your cloak or your coat. Add or begin a statement of praise with no evil eye or the equivalent version in another language. Spit three times. Now, you probably know that there are variations to this where there's actually no saliva involved. Uh, pinch your earlobes. When saying something negative, preface with something like chas v'shalom or chas or equivalent in another language. This is also used as a response when hearing something negative, particularly a prediction. Do not use the term evil eye, but instead say I or good eye. This is causing quite a lot of problems with this episode in general. Um, tie a red thread or lace around the neck or wrist of a newborn. Do not count, but say not one, not two, but three people. There are, of course, far more intense rituals and practices designed to ward off and remove the evil eye. These can be as simple as wax or lead casting or as complicated as 10 to 15 to 45 step multi-day rituals that require specific ingredients and specific moon phases. And many of these remedies were created and carried on by women of the communities, despite much of the modern literature crediting men for their work. I'm going to read for you an excerpt again from... Uh, ritual Sephardic, uh, ritual medical lore of Sephardic women. This is an interview between one of the authors, uh, Isaac, and uh, one of the interviewees. Isaac, did you have any amulets against the evil eye? Avram. Ah, yes, I remember it. They put it on. When I would put on new clothing, my mother would put one on me. They used to put here paper with things of women. I don't know what was inside. Isaac, who used to write these things? The rabbis? Avram. Nah, the women did it. It was the business of the women. No, it was not hachamim, rabbis, learned men. They didn't occupy themselves with such things. The only thing they did to us when, when we were going to put on new clothes, they would pin a little paper right here. What was inside, I don't know. Isaac. Una nuska, an amulet? Avram. Yes, di casa de mujeres, of the house of women. Not from hachamim, for evil eye. Throughout Jewish communities, herbs were an effective protectant against the evil eye, in particular rue, garlic, rosemary, and cloves. Salt and salt water were also favored for preventing and curing the evil eye. Now, in the Middle Ages, it was common for Jewish children to wear coral, red coral necklaces, as the color red was seen as inherently anti-demonic and anti-evil eye. Other amulets, uh, written amulets not included, as written amulets were incredibly popular, are blue beads pinned to clothing, sewn into the lining, worn as jewelry, gold, jewelry, amulets, coins, etc., or shoes, iron objects like nails and needles. There are other red stones, which you can read a little bit more about 
in our article on precious stones and crystals or listen to our uh, podcast episode on the topic. Now let's talk about the most popular amulet. When people think of the evil eye, they generally think of the imagery of a blue eye, like the blue eye emoji. Uh, and this is amulet is known as the Nazar in Turkish, and that name has been adopted by many people for a number of reasons. Though there are many names for this that uh, vary by community. While it is called the evil eye in English, it is not harmful and does not cause the evil eye, but rather diverts and protects from it. And this is a question that gets asked a lot. Does the emoji cast the evil eye? No, it's the opposite. It's meant to protect from it. Now, the color blue is most commonly utilized in these amulets, though they appear in many colors. It is believed to originate in South Asia and North Africa, particularly Turkey or Greece, though many places claim to be the origin. origin. However, due to both cultural diffusion and colonization, the symbol and the amulet has made its way across the globe. While it can appear in any color, the color blue does hold special significance within Judaism as a protective and holy color. To quote, Medieval Kabbalistic symbolism played an important role in constructing the color blue as a powerful color. It provided blue-colored objects with the power of the Godhead, thereby turning them into talismans. In Kabbalah, the Godhead is described as a complex of ten manifestations or gradations called sefirot. Each gradation is a distinct aspect of the Godhead, such as mercy or judgment. One of the prominent characteristics of Kabbalistic language is the usage of symbols to describe every gradation and the symbol of and the system as a whole. These symbols are not only signifiers of the divine, every symbol is also an embodiment of the corresponding gradation, carrying some of its divine characteristics. Variations of the symbol in both color, shape, detail, and combination with other symbols are wildly popular around the globe. Now, belief in the evil eye has shaped Jewish law, though in our personal opinion, the greatest extent is how it shaped Jewish cultural practices. Children are taught, even without knowing, ways to avoid the evil eye. Being taught to be modest, refrain from bragging, etc., are not merely for reasons of politeness. As envy and greed are large proponents of the evil eye, children are raised in a way to avoid such casualties and to live a safe and prosperous life. Now, the evil eye is closely related to another belief in Judaism known as fright or espanto. So let us know if you're interested in hearing a podcast episode all about that. Now, now we're getting to a part of where people ask, is the evil eye a closed practice? Because of the wide variations of the evil eye around the world, there is no way that the umbrella term can be in and of itself closed to just one culture. However, there are ritual practices to ward off, repel, and cure the evil eye that can be considered closed to the cultures that created them. The amulet that we discussed for a little bit there is often debated in this conversation. However, due to colonization and the dispersion of various diasporas and religions from the Swana region, the amulet can be found within cultures around the globe. One cannot tell if someone comes from a culture or religion which utilizes the amulet solely based on their physical appearance or country of origin. The history of the symbol and the symbolism is deeply complex, but we do know is that it's massively important for people of many cultures and deserves our deep, deep respect. And on that note, we're going to finish up talking about the evil eye. If you have any traditions that you want us to cover, let us know on our Instagram. If there's anything we didn't cover when talking about the evil eye, 
let us know on our Instagram. We'll be happy to add it to another episode. Before we go to our citations, I want to say thank you so much to everyone who's left a review on Apple Podcasts. I read every single one of them and they mean the absolute world. They are so, so important to helping our podcast be listened to by more people and allow us to continue doing the work that we do. Uh, thank you so much to the person who left the review saying, this podcast makes me so proud to be Jewish. You do a wonderful job at the research and execution. I'm always so excited to listen to the next episode. Thank you so much. Let's get on to some of our citations. We're going to start off with The Power of the Evil Eye and the Good Eye in Midrashic Literature. We have a Chabad article, What is the Meaning of the Evil Eye? A JSTOL article that you can click on directly in our bio. We have Jewish Magic and Superstition by Joshua Trachtenberg. Divination, Magic, and Healing, the Book of Jewish Folklore by Rabbi Ronald H. Isaacs. Ritual Medical Lore of Sephardic Women, Sweetening the Spirits and Healing the Sick. Dazzling Blue, Color Symbolism, Kabbalistic Myth, and the Evil Eye in Judaism. Thank you all so much for listening, and we'll see you all next time. If you have any suggestions for episodes you want to listen to, feel free to leave them on our Instagram. Bye. Mm-hmm.